Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. John chapter 2, 13 to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords, and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Well, it is tax season again, and last year after I got my refund, I thought I was going to try something new, something I thought I'd be really good at. I said, I'm going to try to invest in stocks. Now, not big stocks, because I could only put a little bit of money into this. But I was like, you know, if you put a little bit in and you do well, that turns into a bit more. And if you do well, that turns into a bit more. Maybe by the time I retire, I'll have something. It didn't last very long. Uh, I forgot to actually file after refile. My total gains were negative $17 and a few cents. So, uh, yeah. Didn't lose my shirt, but, you know, didn't exactly gain a fortune. Well, one thing I knew about stocks, of the little bit I knew and learned how little I knew, is you do have to diversify your portfolio. That's why I couldn't invest in anything big, because I had a small amount of money, and I knew don't dump it all into one thing. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. Because if one stock goes up one day, another stock might be going down. And if most of your stocks are going down, there may be that one stock that goes up and keeps your head above water. If you put everything in one basket, you're doomed. Because if you drop that basket, you don't have any eggs anymore. That works in finance. That's great advice as you plan your retirement and look at your accounts. However... As we plan for eternity, the good advice is the very opposite. 
See, people today try to carry that over. They say, I'm going to try to put my eternal eggs in many different baskets. I need to diversify my spiritual portfolio. Jesus is good, but I got to get me a little Confucius. I got to get me a little of my own righteousness and good works. I've got to sprinkle in. Let me get a few of these uh, Buddhist bonds over here. Let me throw in just a pinch of New Ageism and some kind of feel-good mysticism and put that all in and there's my portfolio. That won't work. Because when you are looking at eternity, when you are looking at eternal life, you have to put all your eggs in one basket. Jesus. Because there is no other basket that can carry them safely. There is no one else who can bring you safely to eternity. Now that terrifies us. You're telling me I have to put all my faith, all my trust in Jesus. I have to believe in Jesus and no one but Jesus. Can you back that up? Yes, I can. That is what this passage is showing us. Several reasons we should believe in Jesus. First, we should believe in Jesus because He fulfills the Scriptures. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I didn't bring it with me this morning, but I often carry a pocket New Testament. I didn't bring it with me because I've got the whole Bible in front of me, so it seemed a little bit redundant. Plus, it's on my phone and you know, there are hundreds of Bibles around here. I'll find one if I need one. But I do like to carry a pocket New Testament. The only problem with a pocket New Testament is it doesn't have the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ just as the New Testament does. Not quite as clearly, but pretty clearly. The whole Bible was given to show us Jesus Christ. Before Jesus came, all the way back at the time of the fall, God began pointing us to Him. In the middle of giving the curse, he promises the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And throughout the Old Testament, he keeps showing us who Jesus is going to be, where he's going to come from. When he's born, they asked, where will he be born? Bethlehem. Well, how do you know that? Because it's written in the prophets. It's about the one time they got it right. They actually were able to open the Bible and go, look, Jesus... They knew from the prophecies of Balaam that he was coming. They knew from Psalm 22 that he was coming and would die. They knew from Isaiah 53 that he would be the suffering servant. They knew from the promises of God that the son of David would sit on the throne of Israel and of the world forever. They knew from Malachi that one would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. They had such a clear picture of Jesus that when he came, it was like a DNA test. You like to watch those true crime shows? I love true crime. I've mentioned it before. That's been my hobby since I was a kid. I wanted to be a detective when I grew up. Then I found out it's less Sherlock Holmes and more paperwork, and I ain't about that paperwork. 
I ain't doing that. I'll just watch forensic files and feel really good. You know, you get DNA. You got somebody. Well, how do we know that I'm the criminal? You can't prove it. We found your DNA at the crime scene. Well, that's it. I'm done. Can't argue with the DNA. It used to be fingerprints, and now we've gotten even better. We can tell you were there by a hair, by a skin flake. We can identify you, just you. There's no one else with your DNA profile unless you've got an identical twin, and that makes for fun movies. But anyhow, the point is this. When Jesus came, he said and did things that fit perfectly the Old Testament predictions of who he would be. He fit them so precisely that liberals used to claim that the Old Testament, or at least portions of it, were written after the New Testament by Christians to make it look like Jesus had been prophesied. Then we found older copies of the Old Testament that proved, nope, they were written hundreds of years before Jesus came. He fit that cleanly. We can know that Jesus is the Christ promised by God because he has fulfilled the scriptures. But he hasn't just fulfilled the scriptures that came before him. See, the second thing we see is we can believe in Jesus Christ. We should believe in Jesus Christ because he has fulfilled his word. They come to him, they say, look, you're kicking out the money changers, you're kicking out the buyers and the sellers of animals. This is God's temple. What sign do you give showing that you have this kind of authority? They're like, look, if you're a prophet, you can do whatever God tells you to do, but show us something, do something to verify who you are. And he says, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And they're like, come on, man, it took us over 40 years to build this temple. It took over a generation. You're not going to raise it up in three days. Now, never mind, God can do whatever he wants to do. Never mind, he once held back rain for seven years and then sent it when Elijah prayed for it. Never mind, he had done wonders like parting the Red Sea. Never mind, he rained down manna from heaven for a generation on the Israelites this apparently was more than God could do. He could create the whole world in six days, but he can't build a temple in three. Nonetheless, they had missed the point entirely. Jesus wasn't talking about rebuilding a temple of stone. He was talking about the temple of his body. As we said last week, this is where the fullness of deity dwells bodily, in Jesus Christ. And building a stone temple in three days is nothing compared to bringing life from death. People have done some amazing things. We've walked on the moon. The ancients built the pyramids, which stand to this day, and I would love to see them in person. Such an amazing monument. We dug a train tunnel between England and France, which shows you we're a little bit crazy as well as very industrious. 
You know, why are we going to undertake this monumental thing? Convenience, I'm getting tired of taking a ferry. We're going to risk thousands of lives and spend millions of dollars for convenience? Yes. Okay, yeah, I want to get to a French cafe as quick as I can and have a good cup of coffee. Let's dig a tunnel. That's nothing. Because we have tried and tried and tried and tried to make life, and we cannot do it. When you are dead, we can't bring you back. I know you see in the movies, they get the paddles and they do... First off, they can't use the paddles to bring you back to life. That's to get your heart back in rhythm. The thing where they give you the shot in the heart with adrenaline, that's for when your heart is stopped. But even that cannot bring a dead brain back to life. When your brain stops working, it is beyond human ability. You're out. Jesus was making a bold claim. He said, you want to see authority? Kill me. And three days later, I will live again. This is what is called a verifiable claim. It's something that either did or did not happen. People all the time, they like to say, well, you know, your religion is your personal belief. It's your personal opinion. You think God is this way. I think the universe is that way. You say God sends people to hell. I say he doesn't. I just don't see how you could believe that about God. Look, when someone takes that approach, remind them, what I believe about God is not personal opinion. It is a question of fact. Either Jesus did or did not rise from the dead on the third day. John, an eyewitness, says he did. Peter tells us, we did not teach you cleverly devised fables, but we spoke to you concerning the word of life, and John verifies that word that we touched and felt and handled. They say, we didn't just see the man, we touched the man. He ate fish in front of us. Ghosts don't eat. He ate, and he spoke, and he walked, and he talked, and 500 saw him at once. Someone in the, I think it was the 1800s, researched this, an atheist. And he said, there is more historical evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Not just that he existed, that he rose from the dead, than that there ever was such a person as Alexander the Great. By the way, he didn't stay an atheist, he converted. People have researched and they have declared it is certain. Jesus Christ is Lord. He walked out of his tomb. He kept his word. And if he can do that, if he can keep that word, then every other word he gives, he will keep. He promised that he will forgive you for your sins if you put your faith in him. I don't care how big your sins are. I don't care how long going your sins are. I don't care if they're so deeply ingrained in your nature that you can't think of yourself without your sins. Jesus can forgive them and break their power over you. 
And He will if you trust in Him. He has told us He will be with us even to the end of the age. It may seem incredible that God would pour out His Holy Spirit to fill us and live within us, but He does it. And Jesus has told us He will sustain us in our trials, deliver us from temptations, and greatest of all, He has told us that just as once He ascended, so in the same manner He shall return. And He will raise the dead back to life. There will be a day of judgment when those who are in the Lamb's book of life will be separated from those who are not. And all wickedness and sin shall be punished, except the wickedness and sin that was already punished in Christ on the cross. And all those who have looked to Him in faith will receive not what we deserve, but what He has earned on our behalf. Grace and reward and fellowship with Him forever. That is not my opinion. That is the written covenant promise of God verified by the sign of the resurrection. We believe in Jesus, not just because He is fulfilled the Scriptures, not just because He has fulfilled His Word, but we believe in Him as well because He has demonstrated His divine character. We see this in this last place. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name, observing His signs which He was doing. But Jesus on His part was not entrusting Himself to them, for He knew all men. And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. As we pointed out about the temple of His body, that He is both God and man simultaneously. He shows His divine character in His omniscience, His knowing all things. Look, I don't understand human nature. I find it very hard to read people. I tend to overthink it. I overthink how people are feeling or thinking or where I stand with them. Uh, problem when you've got anxiety, which I have, you overthink everything. But I don't even know myself all that well. Have you ever had a moment when you realize something about yourself and you're like, wow, I'm that way? Wow, I need to turn over a new leaf. And you may think you're not that way, but have you ever had that moment when the spoon hits the bottom of the pint of ice cream and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I just ate a whole pint of ice cream. I am the kind of person who eats a whole pint of ice cream. Have you ever been watching Netflix and suddenly the little are you still watching comes on? You're like, I've been watching TV so long, my TV is worried about me. <laughs> By the way, that actually did happen. Netflix reached out to someone once, actually called them because they'd been watching so much television. They were like, are you okay? <laughs> there was a guy once who ate so much pizza so regularly that he actually had, I can't remember if it was a heart attack or a stroke or some sort of major health issue that knocked him out. 
and he didn't order pizza for a couple of days, they checked on him. His pizza place went and saved his life. That's a moment when you need to sit down and think about your life choices. When you are doing, when that's who you are. But we have those moments of realization when you're like, wow, that's who I am. Jesus knows you. See, any other leader right now, he's building corporate headquarters in Jerusalem. He's building the big fancy you know, cathedral. He's setting up and saying, the temple belongs to me. Everybody clear out. I'm going to put a chair in the Holy of Holies. Everybody now is going to listen to me. I'm going to hold sway, put the crown on my head. Let's do this thing. No. The people believed in him. And it's interesting, he says, not entrusting himself to them. In Greek, it's the same word as believe. They believed in his name superficially. He did not believe in them at all because he knew their hearts. Anyone else would have gone with the fickle crowds. They would have said, I've got me a movement going and it's time to capitalize. Jesus says, no, I know people. I know you. I know what's in your heart. And I know at the first sign of trouble, you will drop me. I know that when the Pharisees press you, you will call for my death. You and I don't even know ourselves Jesus knows our heart perfectly because He is God. He made us. He sees us. He knows us. And He knows how far we have fallen. Jesus knows your heart this morning. He knows the nature of your faith. He knows that if it is true saving faith, flowing out of a new heart, regenerated, given new life by the Holy Spirit, and He knows if it's shallow faith, faith that looks and sees and rejoices for a time, but which cannot stand the trials of life and will wither and fade when the time of testing comes. Which is your faith? Have you put your trust entirely in Jesus? Have you put all your eggs in His basket? Is He the only thing in your eternal retirement portfolio? If not, you need to clean house. And you need to cry out to Him and say, Jesus I believe. Give me that new heart, that new saving faith. Lord, I place myself entirely in your hands. Carry me now and into eternity. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. 
If you would like more information about the Gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com, where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.